Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So I remember when I was a younger believer, uh, you know, I was in sales, I was out on the road a lot, and I listened to a lot of Christian radio, and there was this show that I used to listen to all the time. It was called To Every Man and Answer. And I loved listening to it. It was just this call-in radio program where people would call in with their Bible questions. They would ask anything that they wanted as long as it was about the Bible. And I used to love it. I would just drink it in because I had all these questions as a new believer. Man, what about this? And what about that? And how does this work? And it was so good to just have that opportunity to ask a pastor those sorts of questions. Well, we're kind of in the to every man an answer sort of section of 1 Corinthians now. We've kind of taken a turn. The first six chapters were all about Paul addressing those sins that were taking place within the church of Corinth, all those known sins, the sexual immorality and the divisions and the pride and the, the, the bickering and all the rest. And Paul addresses that. This is what's going on. This is where you guys are out of line. This is how you can fix it. Let's get our, our focus back on the Lord. Now from chapter 7 on, it's not about Paul addressing those known sins. Now Paul, as we discussed on Sunday, Paul is answering questions that the Corinthian church had asked him in a previous letter. So it was the whole ask the pastor thing. The Corinthian church, they were new believers. Like, man, well, how does this work? And how does the other work? And what do we do with this? And they wrote a letter to their pastor, Pastor Paul. And we get the benefit of reading the answers to Paul's questions. And we're going to deal with all sorts of things through the rest of this book. Marriage, personal liberty, church order, spiritual gift, different doctrines, resurrection. We're going to deal with it all. But chapter 7, the chapter that we are currently in, is all about marriage. It's about marriage between two Christians, a Christian who marries another Christian. It's about marriage between Christians and non-Christians. And it's about Christians who are single, not married at all. And on Sunday, we covered the first section of chapter 7 that dealt with Christians who are married to other Christians. And we looked at God's plan for for marriage and all the blessings and and the beauty of of the gift of marriage that God has given to us. And we looked at the the healthy way that people are to be married. And we talked about the the four purposes of marriage, procreation, pleasure, uh, partnership, and uh, picture. And we talked about the importance of guarding our marriages Uh, in very proactive ways, super important. And so tonight, we're going to look at Christians who are married to non-Christians, and we're going to look at uh, Christians who are not married at all. So let's jump in. Verse 12 is where we're going to pick up our text tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. And I forgot my glasses, so if I pause or... It seems like I'm going to just have a stroke and fall over. I'm just looking for my place. If I do fall over, though, come and and help me. (laughs) Verse 12 says, But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So Paul here in this section, beginning in verse 12, uh, as he's answering these questions about marriage to the church of Corinth, he's dealing now with this question of believers who are married to unbelievers. Boy, do they have to stay married? And if you think about the situation there in Corinth, boy, you know, it's a good question. I'm sure it wasn't all that uncommon. Here you have a culture that is just off the rails morally into all sorts of crazy stuff, sexual immorality and uh, just this rampant kind of gross materialism and, and all these things. And then here comes uh, the Apostle Paul bringing the good news of the gospel. Hey, you can be made right with Jesus. You can be made right with God. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have this amazing relationship with the Lord. And there in that culture, in that city, in those communities, there were people who heard the good news and they got saved. They said, yes, I want to be made right with God. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want this beautiful thing that Jesus is offering that Paul has taught me about. But it wasn't always a couple who got saved together. There were many instances in which only one party of a married couple got married. And so now uh, people would find themselves in these predicaments where they were both unbelievers when they got married. Now since they've been married, one person is saved. And now there's these two separate directions that people are wanting to go. And it no doubt caused a lot of trouble. Because now again, you have two people who are living their lives with completely different objectives, with completely different views and motives and goals. And so you think about that, everything from raising kids to finances to just morality in general, would, everything would change. And so it would have created a lot of conflict that wasn't there before. And so the same thing we see happening in our culture, don't we? That people are married when neither one of them are Christians. And then somewhere along the lines, one of them becomes uh, a Christian. And there's that same issue. As one finds Jesus and is, is, is changed and is spiritually born again, as there's this newness of life and this fervency for God and for the scriptures, uh, there's a new purpose and a new direction that's not shared by the unbelieving spouse. And so there's all these conflicts that can arise in our modern day when the same thing happens. How are we going to raise the kids? Where are they going to go to school? What kind of curriculum are we going to teach them? Uh, what are we going to uh, instill in them as far as values are concerned? You know, what are we going to do with our time? Are we going to go to church? Or are we going to go to the lake? What are we going to do with our finances? Are we going to honor the Lord in our finances, or, or is it a waste of time? Where are we going to, to go or not go, or what are we going to do or not do? What movies are we going to watch? What, what music is okay now? And you can see there's all of these conflicts that, that take place, and it can be very, very difficult uh, in our culture, and that's the way that it was in the church uh, at Corinth. 
And so they wanted to know, hey, do I have to stay married to this unbeliever? Right now, life is difficult. We're going in two completely different directions. I'm a different person. I'm not who I was when we were married. Do we really have to stay married? Or when I became a Christian, did that kind of nullify our, our marriage? And that's the question that they had for Paul. And so do we have to stay married? And Paul answers that question and says, yes. Yes, you have to stay married. If they are willing to put up with you, then you should stay married to them. Uh, this whole situation where one is saved and one's not, it's not an excuse to leave. And I have counseled Christians in this situation. Man, my husband is an unbeliever, or my wife is an unbeliever, and we don't see eye to eye on anything, and I just feel like that's not God's will for you to get divorced, for you to leave. You are to stay with that individual, with your spouse, as long as they're willing to put up with you, as long as they're willing to stay around. Why? Well, Paul tells us. He says, well, first of all, because it sanctifies the unbelieving spouse, and then it sanctifies the kids. So, so what is Paul saying there? Because if we're not careful, that can seem an awful lot like the married spouse, right, kind of covers the unbelieving spouse, like the, the unbelieving spouse is somehow magically saved because they are married to a believer. But that is not what, what Paul is saying here at all. We know, we take the entirety of the scriptures and we say, well, how is a person saved? How is a person born again? How are their sins forgiven? Uh, well, each individual has to make that decision to follow Christ on their own. It's a personal decision. You cannot get to heaven on the coattails of somebody else's faith. You cannot. Not your grandma's not your grandpa's, not your mom, not your dad, not your sister, not your boyfriend, girlfriend, or not even your husband or wife. You must believe for yourself that Jesus, that he came, that he, he died on the cross in your place to forgive you of your sins. He paid the price that you could not pay, that he died there on the cross in your place, that he was buried for three days, but after three days, God rose him from the dead. You believe that in your heart, you confess that with your mouth, the Bible says, and then you're saved. Uh, that's it. So, so what is Paul saying then? If he's not saying that the husband or the, the wife, the unbelieving or un husband or wife, is saved by being married to the believing husband or wife, then, then what is this whole sanctification situation? What is Paul saying? Well, he's saying that the, the believer brings this blessing to the marriage, this, this covering, this, this holiness, this truth really this influence. They bring Jesus, really, into the relationship. The married individual brings Jesus into a relationship that was Jesus-less previously. And that is a wonderful thing, and we'll talk about why that is in a second. But there is a real blessing, just practically, in being linked together, right? When the two become married, right, the two become one flesh, that's true for two believers. That's true for a believer and an unbeliever. And so there's this union. There's this linkage. There's this, there's this uh, blessing in proximity is what I would call it. But not only just for the spouse, but for the, the children as well. That there is that influence, right? Your kids are not saved because, you know, you stayed married to an unbelieving or because you stayed, yeah, because you stayed married to an unbelieving parent. The kids aren't saved because they have a believing parent. 
just the same as the unbelieving spouse isn't saved because they have a believing spouse. Again, it's a personal commitment. But I'll tell you one thing. You know, for those who are in that boat, who are married to an unbeliever, whatever the circumstances are, who have children, where there's that conflict, man, uh, you know, there's nothing more that a Christian parent wants for their children than for them to have a relationship with Jesus that's their own, that's vibrant, that's personal. And in a a mixed marriage, and that can be difficult, but I want to encourage you. I want you to hang on to the same verse that I've hung on to for my kids, and that is if you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6, stand on that. And remember uh, the example of, of Timothy. Right? We know that Timothy grew up and he became a pastor. But we never hear anything of Timothy's dad. Timothy's dad is believed to have been a Greek or a non-believer. But who was in Timothy's life that knew and loved the Lord? His mama and his grandma. And they prayed over him and they taught him of Jesus. Hey, if you're in that boat, man, pray for your kids. Stand on the truth of Scripture. Believe the Lord for their salvation. And so this whole scenario, first of all, Paul says, if you're married to an unbeliever now, that's the way things worked out, and they're willing to stay with you, man, stay with them because you bring a great deal of blessing and a great deal of influence to that relationship. Um, But if that person wants to leave, Paul says, if you're married to an unbeliever and they say, listen, I've had enough. Like, this is, this is too much. You're not the person I married. I don't know what's gotten into you. I, I can't take this Christian stuff and this Jesus thing. I'm out of here. Paul says that you can let them go, that there's no bondage there. But the idea is if they insist. If they insist on leaving, as in you've done everything in your power to convince them to stay and they still want to go, then you can let them go, right? It's not that, that you pack their bags for them. Hey, you know, the Bible says that you can leave if you want to, so hey, I packed some stuff, and you know, it's not that you're to make life as miserable as you can for them. God says, or not God, well, God does say through Paul, he says, but, but let there be peace. Uh, what verse is it? But if the unbeliever depart, let him depart, uh, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called you to peace. God has called you to peace. What does that mean? It means that this idea that the unbelieving spouse can leave, it's not a license to push them to leave. You know, There can be that temptation. And again, I have counseled people in this situation. And that's almost the thing. Well, I can't leave him, but, you know, if I just get super holy, he'll get so fed up with me that he'll just leave. Like, hey, honey, what's for dinner? Oh, you know, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ tonight. Oh, I can't take this Jesus thing anymore. It's like, no, again, you do everything in your power to uh, make the marriage work. And then if they insist on leaving, then you can go. But you don't go out of your way to escalate the situation. You have been called to peace. And that means to walk in sacrificial love. If you're a husband and you're married to an unbelieving wife, 
It's the same. You are called to be a husband to that woman, just like you're called to be a husband to a believing husband. You're to wife. Let's get things straight. We're not one of those churches, folks. You were called to be the same husband to that wife, either way, whether she's a believer or not, to lay down your life, to live sacrificially like Jesus loved the church. Other way around, same thing. If you're married to an unbelieving man, you are to walk in submission to him. So often, there are ladies who find themselves married to unbelieving men, and they say, well, I'm not going to submit to him because he's not a Christian. No, you're to submit to him. Right? If he says, honey, we are moving to China because I feel like that's where our family needs to go. You might not like it. You are to submit to him. Now, there's a, a limit to that. If he says, honey, I think we should start robbing banks and selling crack, you can be like, well, you know, I'm not so sure if we should do that. But submit. Submit. And in doing so, see, this, and this is where Paul's really getting at. In doing so, in loving your spouse, sacrificially husband, in, in submitting to your husband, wives, in being that good example, you might just win them to Christ. You never know, Paul says. 1 Peter 3.1 says, Wives, likewise be submitted to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So Paul says, he says, Don't you know, how do you know, O husband, how do you know, O wife, that you might not, be the very instrument that God uses in your spouse's life to bring them salvation. And so, again, difficult situation. Uh, the Corinthians were going through, it's very uh, applicable to us today, lots of folks going through the same situation. But we don't have to wonder what it is that we're to do because the Bible spells it out very, very clearly. You are to stay married to them as long as they uh, will have you. Now, we've addressed the Christian who is now married to an unbeliever because they were both unbelievers and then one got saved after they were married. What about the Christian who is married to an unbeliever who just walked in disobedience? They were a Christian and they went against God's word and said, you know what? I know I'm not to be unequally yoked, but so handsome. He's so dreamy. She's so beautiful. I'm sure that I can change them in the long run. And now you find yourself married to an unbeliever with all the same issues, but you know that you are in this situation because you, you disobeyed the Lord. Now, the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.14 that we are not to be unequally yoked. Paul goes on, and we're kind of skipping ahead. I'm going to Take verse 39 and, and slap it in this section because it goes with this. And in verse 39, we'll get there tonight, Paul is talking about the widows. Is it okay for a widow to remarry? And he says there in verse 39, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Those last few words are very important. Only in the Lord. It, it just solidifies and reinforces that idea found in 2 Corinthians 6. That we're not to be unequally yoked, not in business, not in friendships, and not in marriage. We're not to be unequally yoked. Why? What is a yoke? Right? It's not the yellow runny thing in the middle of your egg. Oh, well, it is actually, but that's not the yoke that Paul is talking about. The yoke that Paul is talking about is this 
device. It's carved out of wood or whatever it was. It, 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 it harnesses two beasts of burden together, whether that's oxen or horses. It links them together and then connects them to whatever they're going to be pulling, whether that's a plow or another farm implement or a wagon. Now imagine that you have these two animals that are linked together, but they're both just bent on going their own separate directions. Now, how productive is that situation going to be? Not very. And not only is it not going to be productive, it's going to be very frustrating. And not only is it going to be very frustrating, it's going to be very dangerous. Because those animals, right, they're not just going to arbitrary directions that end wherever they want. And the scenario that the Lord uses to not be unequally yoked, that is to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, in one case, one of the animals is just going towards a, a straight cliff to death with everything that they have, while the other animal is trying to get to greener pastures and still waters and life with everything that they have. And so again, you have this constant conflict, and where you have that conflict, there is influence. Those animals are going to influence each other in the direction that this one is pulling. It's impossible for the other one not to be influenced. And that's great when one is being influenced for the kingdom of God, but it's terrible when one is being influenced away from the kingdom of God. So in friendships, again, I've shared this with you guys before. When I was a youth pastor, I used to do this uh, demonstration all the time where I would take one kid and have him stand on the chair and one kid lay on his back under the chair. And I would have the kid on the chair try to pull the kid on the ground up. Now, if they're the same size, it's much easier for the kid on the ground to pull the other kid down. And that's the idea. When you're unequally yoked, it's so easy for the world to suck you in. Be careful. The Lord's not messing around when he says that. And so if you found that yourself in that place, it's not God's will for you to marry an unbeliever. I don't care how handsome. I don't care how pretty. I don't care how funny. I don't care how good she smells. If they're not Christian, it's not God's will for you to marry them. And I'm sorry, but it's not me. That's what the Lord says. It's not your will for them. Well, until it is. Until it is. Wait a second, Pastor Jeremy. Yeah, if you've already found yourself in that situation, if you've made a mistake in the past and now you're married to an unbeliever, that marriage is God's will for you. And I say that because I've had people say, well, you know, I disobeyed the Lord, and so now I should get divorced to make that wrong right. We can go back to see what Paul says about unbelievers married to, to believers, right? Just look, now everything else that we talked about, if you're already married, if you're already in that place, this is what you ask for forgiveness. You enjoy that forgiveness, and you move on, and you don't leave that person if they are willing to stay with you. But you pray for them. You, you model the Lord for them and be the best witness that you can. You try to find that first Peter situation to where your conduct leads them to the Lord. So Paul is dealing again with uh, those who are, are married and now they find themselves married to unbelievers. And he continues on. It seems like he kind of takes a hard left here. So we'll see how it ties in. Verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. 
Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called by a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. So, uh, circumcised, uncircumcised. What is Paul talking about? Well, who are the circumcised, first of all? The circumcised would be the Jewish individual. The Jews, they were the people who were circumcised. And Paul's saying, uh, you know, were you circumcised? Were you a Jew when you were saved? Well, then don't try to become uh, a Gentile. Don't forsake your, your Jewness and try to be something that you're not. Were you a Gentile when you were saved? That is, were you uncircumcised? Well, then don't try to become a Jew now just because you are saved. Were you a slave when you were saved, when you came to know Jesus? Well, don't be bothered that you're not free. Instead, uh, try to be free if you can, but know that you're free in Christ, even if you're in chains. And if you are, uh, you know, a free man, remember that you are a slave to Christ. What does Paul bring all this up for? What is he saying this for? Well, it's not because those things that he mentioned define us first and foremost, Right? Paul is not saying that, hey, were you a Jew when you got saved? Continue on to be a Jew because that's where your identity is. Were you a Gentile when you were saved? Continue on to become a Gentile because, uh, you know, that is where your identity is. Paul is saying just the opposite. He's saying that it's because those things are secondary and we are defined by Christ first and foremost that everything else is second. Don't worry about if you're a Jew or a Gentile or if you're a slave or a free. Those things are not your primary identity. They are your secondary identity. And that is an important thing for us to understand in our current culture. Because in our culture, we define ourselves by all different things. And there is this increasing, disturbing trend whereby we are determined as human beings to identify ourselves with our sin. Uh, This is just the way I am. This is the way I'm always going to be. This is how God made me. And we end up with commercials like the Super Bowl. Did you guys see the, the Super Bowl commercial about Jesus? It was the He Gets Us commercial. And it was this commercial. It was all about, you know, how we're to just wash each other's feet and, and love each other. The only problem was that this commercial was totally loaded with leftist propaganda from beginning to end. It wasn't about the gospel at all. And you see, you know, there's a cop washing a black guy's feet and a preppy girl washing the punk rocker stoner girl's feet and a cowboy washing the Indian's feet and a pro-life woman washing the girl who just had an abortion's feet, an oil driller uh, washing a Native American woman's feet, uh, an American washing a Muslim's feet, and you have a, a, a preacher washing the feet of a gay guy. And, and that's the whole, whole message was he gets us. Right? That's who you are, man. Jesus is cool with you. Are That's your identity is in this or that, the other. Now imagine if that narrative was flipped on its head and it was the other way around and it was, you know, the gay guy washing the pastor's feet or, you know, it was 
the uh, Muslim washing the Americans. And that just shows you. If it's all about love, then what difference does it make which it goes? But it was loaded. It's not about love. It wasn't about the truth. It was all about this false agenda that Jesus just loves you where you are, man, if you are defining yourself as a homosexual or, or whatever. This, this whole commercial, the message they were sending was, hey, race is everything. Define yourself in your race. Uh, loose living is acceptable. If that's where you are, hey, it's okay. Abortion is all right, and you can worship a false god, or God is okay with homosexuality. Again, the whole idea, if you can't accept this, if you can't wash their feet and just love them for who they are, then, then, then you're hating. And Jesus didn't hate, uh, teach hate. He washed feet. And that was like the whole thing at the end. Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. But newsflash, Jesus wasn't like, you know, wandering around Israel, washing feet like a shoe-shining boy at the subway. He washed the disciples' feet. And it wasn't a random thing. He washed the disciples' feet to teach them a very important lesson on humility. Remember, they were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom, neglecting the most basic of hospitalities and washing each other's feet. And so Jesus, teaching them about hospitality, girded himself with a towel and began to wash their feet. But you remember what happened after that? Peter was like, no way, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And what did Peter, God say to Peter? What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet... You have no part in me. In other words, Jesus was saying, Pete, you got some cleaning up I need to do in your life. Let me do that work, or uh, you're not a part of me. That's what it was. The, 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 the scripture that they used to make their point says exactly the opposite of the point that they were making. And so be careful with scriptures like this. Because at face value, it very much seems like, well, what Paul is saying is that, hey, if that was your identity, then then just because you're Christian, that doesn't mean that your identity changes. No, it's just the opposite. Those things were secondary. Your identity is in Christ. And, and Paul says this. What does this have to do with marriage? He's saying, listen, if you were married to an unbeliever before you got saved, stay married. You don't need to leave them just because you got saved any more than you need to try to become a Jew if you weren't a Jew or a Gentile if you weren't a Gentile. Or a, you see what I'm saying? That's Paul's whole message here. This is not about uh, their identity being in their pre-saved selves. And so Paul is just simply saying, if you were married to an unbeliever when you got saved, stay married to them. Now, verse 25, we kind of jump into this next section. We've dealt with those uh, married people, Christians married to other Christians. We've dealt with Christians married to non-Christians. And now we're going to look at Paul's advice to Christians who are unmarried, verse 25. Five. Verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of that present distress. I feel like I lost my place. Again, I told you I didn't have my glasses. I'm going to read some of this over again just so I make sure that I got it. Uh, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, if, you, uh, and if a virgin... If a virgin marries, 
She has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So Paul has dealt with this topic a little bit already. We talked about this on Sunday. He dealt with the uh, single Christian. And the question really that he addressed was, now that I'm a Christian, should I stay celibate? Should I abstain from sex altogether? Meaning, really, should I just stay unmarried? And Paul addressed that. Uh, You know, he talked about uh, singleness being a gift from God. If, uh, you know, really, he, 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 let me take a step back. Paul said that singleness was a good thing if it was a gift from God. Singleness is a great thing if it was a gift from God. That's what he called singleness, a gift from God. But if it's not a gift from God, then it's not something you should engage in trying to be single your whole life because what will end up happening is you will be tempted uh, because that's not what you're called to. You weren't called to be celibate. And so your sexual desires will cause you to, to, to walk in sexual immorality. And Paul says, hey, if you can get away with it, if the Lord has called you to it, it's a good thing. And we looked on uh, Sunday at passage in Matthew 19 where Jesus addresses celibacy. But Paul says, hey, it's a good thing. You can serve the Lord in so many ways, but it's not for everybody. So now uh, Paul addresses that same topic again, the single Christian, but in more depth and from a slightly different uh, direction. At the beginning of the chapter, Paul is answering the question, should, should I remain celibate? Is it good for me to be celibate, to abstain from sexual activity in order to serve the Lord more wholly? And Paul addressed that, and now it's more of a question, well, then is it a sin to not get married? Right? There was this idea that if you're a Christian that you had to get married, that it was a sin to not get married. And now Paul is addressing that, and he addresses a section, he says, concerning virgins. Now that word for virgin in the Greek, it's the same word that we would use for virgin, same meaning. It means uh, a young woman who has not uh, had any sexual experience with a man whatsoever, sexually pure, man or woman. That's uh, what it means, those who have never engaged in sexual activity. It was synonymous in their culture with married, though, right? as a Christian. That's the idea. In Christian culture, virginity and singleness are synonymous. We've lost that somewhere along the lines, but that is still God's will for your life. Don't forget that. But Paul says, hey, listen, there's no direct commandment from God that says you have to get married. There's none. But he says, I'm going to share some insight, some inspired wisdom from God. Now, there are those who would look to this passage and say, well, this isn't actually a command from God. This is just Paul riffing, and so this is not inspired scripture. That's a bunch of baloney, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by God. All means all, including this passage. And, And I won't get into that any more than that. But Paul mentions, he says, listen, uh, I'll share with you the wisdom that I have. And he talks about this current distress that's, that's taking place. He said, therefore, that this is good because of present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. So because of this current distress, Paul's saying, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay single. What was the present distress that they were going through? We don't know. But there was something that was going on in Corinth. So Paul says, hey, you're considering getting married. First of all, consider the, the circumstances, consider the consequences. Whatever was going on, we don't know if it was political uh, distress or economic stress. We don't know if it was persecution or a combination of all those things. There were all real possibility. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
But whatever they were going through there in Corinth, it made marriage difficult, or, or marriage would make their life difficult. It, it made serving the Lord difficult. And so uh, Paul says, you know, listen, I'll, I'll give you my best advice. God doesn't really say yes or no, but, but this is what I have to say. And the first thing he says is, how is this going to affect you? Is this really the time, the best time to get married considering the current circumstances? And I think there's a good word in that for us. That we're not to enter into marriage flippantly or quickly, but we're to consider what it means. How is this going to change my life? This is, is this the best time to get married? Is this what the Lord has called me to? And so Paul says, because of the current situation, stay as you are. And if you're married, stay married. If you're single, then stay single. And there are benefits to uh, being single in that particular climate. If it was, uh, you know, because of, of poverty or economic depression, that there was uh, trouble, Paul says, hey, stay single. Right? I mean, dudes, dudes can, like, live in their truck and eat top ramen and be happy campers. I mean, I'd be just I'd be happy as a peach living up in the mountains, top ramen, canned chili. I wouldn't even heat up the chili. i just open the can and eat it cold. I have that, like, grease ring around my mouth. And, but I'm not single. I'm married. And my wife would not be cool with that. My kids would be miserable. Uh, there's just certain things that you can't get away with uh, as a married dude that a, a single guy can. So Paul says, yeah, is this the best climate? Also, if it was persecution, is it the best time to get married? You know, it, it's easy for a, a Christian guy to say, all right, man, you do whatever you want to me. I'm not denouncing Jesus. But what if they say, well, we're actually going to rape your wife and torture your kids too unless it just changes things. And that wouldn't have been a, a far from reality in this time for Christians as persecution uh, came. So Paul says, hey, this current situation, this, 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 this uh, economic depression or whatever it is, persecution, it might not be the best time to get married, but it's also not the best time to get divorced. Right? Paul's not saying, now don't go around and get divorced. Just because it's not the best time to get married doesn't mean it's a good time to get divorced. Like your family needs you. Whatever the situation was, you can't leave your family now. Uh, they need you more than ever. You have an obligation to protect them and provide for them. So, so don't leave your wives. Don't leave your kids, whatever you are. If you're single, stay that way. If you're married, do that as well. All that said, Paul says it's not a sin to get married. If that's what the Lord has called you to, then go for it. If not, then, then don't. Verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. What is Paul talking about? He says the time is short. He's talking about the return of Jesus. He's talking about the reality. It doesn't matter what kind of Christian you are. The reality is that Jesus is coming back. I don't care if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. Jesus is coming back at some point. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, this is the Christian way of life, to be ready for the Savior, to be prepared, to be looking for Christ's return. And we have parables that Jesus taught that says that that's the way Christians should live, that we should live every day. Like, man, the Lord could come today. We have the parable of the ten virgins, 
where five were ready and five were weren't. The five were ready, it was great and blessing. The five that were not ready, it was disastrous. Jesus taught in Matthew 24 uh, the, the, about the faithful servant and the evil servant. The one who was about his master's business, looking to see when his master was going to come, taking care of everything the way he should. And then there was the one that said, ah, the Lord delays his coming. Who knows, whatever. I'm not going to live like the master's coming back. And it was disastrous for him. And there's always this call to live for the eternal and not the temporal, which is one reason that I am a a pre-trib guy. Because if you're mid-trib or you're post-trib, you're always looking for something other than Jesus. This other thing has to happen first. Always looking for the Antichrist. You're always looking for this or that. Hey, Jesus could come at any minute. We're to live our lives like the Lord could return. And where do you want to be? How do you want Jesus to find you? Serving him faithfully? Are you going to be ready? Or are you going to be the, the evil servant who says, ah, the Lord delays his coming. What's the big deal? No, we're to, to be about the Lord's business. And what Paul is getting at is uh, this, this commitment to serve the Lord. It's easier as a single person. He's going to build on that in verse 32. 32, Paul says, But I want you to be without care. For he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a, a leash on you or a burden or a heavy uh, you know, drag on you, but, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So again, this is kind of what we touched on on Sunday. For the single individual, man, the opportunities to serve the Lord are just so much greater for the single individual than for the married individual. Again, you can pick up and go. You can do whatever you want. Your financial obligations are much smaller if you played your cards wisely. You don't have the duty of, of marriage and pleasing a wife or pleasing a husband or raising kids. Man, the Lord calls you to Timbuktu to weave baskets with little kids to share with Jesus. You're, you're there tomorrow. I mean, there's nothing holding you back. You can just go and serve the Lord. It, it, it's different for those who are married. And the Lord says, man, you're you're to be without care. That means that you're not to be anxious. That means not to be pulled in two different directions. Uh, You can just be freed up to serve the Lord. If you are single, you're not pulled in the direction to please a family or a wife. And it's interesting, it's a fact of history, actually, that both John Wesley and George Whitfield, these are are both, like, big, like, smart Bible teachers. They're the beginning of the Methodist church. Both of their wives left them. Why? Because they were so busy serving the Lord that they didn't make time for their wives. They were miserable wives. It was a terrible situation. And so Paul is saying, hey, listen, it's important. Uh, If the Lord has called you to a life of being single and serving the Lord, don't run out and get married. Just serve the Lord with everything that you have. Now, with that said, it doesn't mean that if you're married, you can't serve the Lord. There's lots of opportunities. I'm married, just in case you were wondering. You guys all know my wife. And I could not do what I do without my wife, without her encouragement and her support and her prayers and her smiles. Uh, It's also very important. Paul is just saying, 
uh, to the unmarried believer who feels like he's called to serve the Lord with his life, hey, really consider whether or not marriage is the thing for you. Verse 36, Paul says, but if any man thinks that he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, he does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. What on earth is Paul talking about? So this is actually kind of a confusing uh, uh, passage, and it's, there's a little bit of debate on what the translation should be, and the debate really stems around who is talking, the but if any man, who is the any man talking about this? Is it the bridegroom, is it the fiance, or is it the, the father? And I won't get into it because we don't have time to get into it, but uh, the preferred translation is that this is a father who has the decision, what is he going to do about his daughter? Is he going to give her away in marriage or not? And the key to that, why I believe and why I side with that translation, is uh, that word marriage is not translated to be married, but to give away in marriage. There's a different Greek word for those. So anyways, this section is talking about a father who's giving away his daughter. Should he give away his daughter to be married? Should he not give away his daughter to be married? What's the question? What's the right thing to do? Well, it, it depends on the circumstances, right? And basically what Paul does is he, he leaves it up to the dad. Now, in those days, marriages were arranged. You say, man, what a drag that would be, right? We have all the, the, the Disney stories about the oppressive, you know, even what is it, Aladdin. Oh, daddy, I don't want to marry him and all this thing. And Jafar was a jerk and her dad. And we all know the story. But if your dad loved you and he was a good man, he's not just going to make you marry some moron that doesn't love you or whatever. He's going to make sure. So I'm not for arranged marriages. Please don't take that away from this. Please. Pastor Jeremy is not for arranged marriages. But I do believe that you should consider what your parents think is good for your life. Young man, young woman, those considering marriage, even old dude, old lady, when I do premarital counseling with people, I don't care if you are 40, 50, or you're 20. I always ask, so what does your family think? What does your mom think about this? What does your dad? It's just important. And, and understand that. Take that away. And then the last uh, little bit that, that Paul deals with here is the unmarried widow. So in the, the Christian singles category, there's two categories under the Christian single. There's the Christian single who is sexually experienced and then there's the virgin. We dealt with the virgin. Now Paul deals with uh, the widow. And Paul here, the last couple verses says, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's at liberty to marry, uh, to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, Paul says. And I think uh, I also have the Spirit of God. So Paul, in this uh, last little bit about marriage, he says, hey, listen, marriage is forever. We talked about this on Sunday. We looked at Matthew chapter uh, 19. We looked at Romans chapter 7, both important verses. One man, one wife, one life. That's God's plan for marriage. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what's you know, politically expedient. I don't care what's culturally popular. 
If you want to find blessing in marriage, God's way is the way to do it. One man, one woman, one life. In the Lord, again, he says. Uh, it's not just this random thing. We're to be married to uh, believers. Uh, but marriage is forever. We're not to enter into it flippantly. We're not to rush into it until death do we part. That's why you say that at the altar. It, it, it's super important. And I won't belabor that point. If you want to hear more about it, we talk about divorce on Sunday. I will say this, though. If you are in these categories, if you've married an unbeliever, if you've been divorced, again, you're not banished. God isn't sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed and his, his brow furrowed saying, tisk, tisk, tisk. You half-witted Christian, you low-wattage believer, if only. No, there's forgiveness. The Bible says if we ask for forgiveness, God forgives us. We can be restored and walk in all that he has for us. But this thing concerning marriage and singleness and sexuality, and God has given us all the rules and regulations, the boundaries, and it's not because he's, again, some cosmic killjoy who says, man, you got to do it this way or that way or else I'm just going to be cranky. No, he says, I've given you these boundaries that you might experience the blessing and avoid the devastating. What a good God we serve. He could just say, hey, go figure it out, and you can just, you know, learn the hard way. He says, no, I've given it to you. Go, enjoy all the blessings that I, I, I've sent your way. Single individual, married couples. Man, let's do it the Lord's way. And that's why we spend time doing what we do. That's why we go through the Bible, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter, and book by book, to get all that the Lord has for us. I cannot tell you how many discussions I've had with the Lord over the last three weeks. I do not want to talk about sex. I do not want to talk about STDs. I don't want to talk about all these things. The Lord says, we need to talk about my plan for sexuality and marriage and singleness. It's important. And we spend our time studying through it so that we can be armed to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. So let us be those who leave this place and say, all right, Lord, we have our idea about how things should work but we are committed to yield to your way. Thank you for the blessings that come with that. Amen? So Lord, again, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. And Lord, again, concerning this uh, topic of marriage and all that it encompasses, help us to be a people who walk in your will for our lives. For those of us who have made mistakes, Lord, I pray that we would not leave this place under the shame of condemnation, but Lord, that we would experience holy conviction that would draw us closer to you, that we would experience forgiveness as we humble ourselves before you, and that we would leave this place experiencing the freedom of forgiveness. Lord, again, we thank you for your plans for us. Help us to walk in all that you have. Be with us, bless us, keep us, Lord, shepherd us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.